Here's Your Red Flag is intended for mature audiences only. Many, if not most, of our episodes will include topics such as psychological, emotional, and physical abuse, and detailed narcissistic and toxic behaviors. We are not professional therapists. If you are in need of professional help, please contact the appropriate authorities. Some names have been changed for anonymity purposes. The opinions expressed by the guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Lisa or myself. You can find additional information about this podcast in the show notes, as well as on our website, heresyourredflag.com. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I flew up to the mirror. Well, there was nothing that I seen. You lie, I cried. But a flower in my eyes. You lie, I cried. But a flower in my eyes. So. We're starting podcast number two, and yes. we somehow managed to record podcast number one yesterday <laughs> with, with minimal damage. <laughs> <laughs> we ask our listeners to show us grace and understand that while we have magnificent phone calls with each other, it doesn't exactly translate immediately to a podcast. And so we are going to find our sea legs and hopefully get better and better as we go along. And we want to share wonderful information and knowledge that we have been gaining over the past few years together. Mm -hmm. So let's start. Okay. Okay. So uh, how are you feeling about today? Oh boy. So I, before yesterday, I think I said I was a little bit nervous before today. I, when I was kind of preparing and wanting just to have some talking points, I remembered that in one of my journals, I had just one day just did a brain dump of all these events from my second marriage to a narcissist. And I started reading through them and my leg, I've never had this happen, was just shaking, like just And I was just overcome with shock and disbelief at how I tolerated all of what I will probably end up sharing here and feeling sorry, just so sorry for that former part of me, that former self and knowing beyond a doubt that if another person ever did one instance of what I will share that I can say now without without all those chemicals and, you know, attraction going on that, oh, heck no, that I'm not tolerating that, but I know I will see it. And so how I'm feeling is kind of disgust with what I put up with, but very excited that I'm no longer in that place. So it's kind of a mix. I like disgusted at him too. Really, really repulsed Mm. by him. And after reading this, you know, it is no doubt, there's no doubt why he thinks that still, even after being divorced, officially divorced for a year and 10 months, that I will still go back to him. There's no doubt because I trained him to believe that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I taught him how to, how to treat me and what I would accept. And even toward the end, when I would set those boundaries, he just laughed. He just laughed. 
So yeah, it's going to be fun. (laughs) Wow. It's a lot to come out of and Mm -hmm. your wisdom and just ability to process this so calmly and confidently is very inspiring. Well, thank you. It, you know, it takes a village and so it starts with God and, and then with you and my kids. And I think I said that yesterday, but just definitely not done on my own. And so I just want to encourage listeners to to find a person, find your faith. Definitely. Mm -hmm. It's so important and coming out of that. Yeah. And listen to this podcast because we'll help you through it. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. So I think this is where we want to delve into the second marriage. (laughs) Yes. Okay. You were in a first marriage that was dissolved basically because of irreconcilable differences. Yeah. And we're not going to spend time on this podcast talking about that marriage. However, because of those differences, I think it set you up to look for another type of man. And this particular person came into your life. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that a good starting point for you? Yeah, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah. So my initial attraction to uh, this man who we still need to nickname. Let's just call him number two. Number two. Okay. The initial attraction to number two, probably in no certain order, you know, definitely a, a physical attraction, nice looking and all the things. But more than that, he was a man of faith self-reported man of faith. What was it about that? So in the years prior to meeting number two, my kids and I mostly were, were attending church and different Bible studies. And I was growing in my faith. My kids were beginning to grow in faith. And in church, you see these couples and I know it's looks can be deceiving But I guess in a nutshell, I was really looking for a spiritual, I wanted my husband to be a spiritual leader of our home. And I envisioned a spiritual leader being someone who prayed with the family, prayed for the family, had a role in the church of some sort, maybe even if it was just volunteering. So definitely wanting that spiritual leader. And he portrayed himself to be that. And I remember one of the first conversations we had that sparked the spiritual attraction to him was him sharing with me that he and his first wife had been praying about where to move. And I remember asking, wait, you, you prayed about where you were going to move with your wife? I, I was just astounded. And he was like, yeah, we prayed together about that. Looking back, I'm sure he latched onto that real quickly and figured out, oh, this is one of the threads of the web I can weave is the spiritual thread. So definitely an attraction to the spiritual aspect of him. Another attraction was he seemed to be a family man. And in my first marriage, my husband's job was different hours. And so he was not always able to come to kid things or family things. And I would often go alone to those and he would either show up later if he could or not at all if he couldn't. And that was a lonely place to be. So 
I was looking for, I suppose, uh, it was really important to me to have someone that who, who would be around and who would want to be around. And um, number two, had a lot of stories about taking his kids to do different activities, taking them on road trips, being at home with them, playing games, uh, just he seemed to be making all kinds of decisions based on the family and what would make his kids happy and creating memories. And that was really important to me and really attractive to me as well. So faith and family are huge values for you. And this man already checked the boxes on those two very important values for you, whereas that was lacking in your first marriage. I think that that's a really interesting thought is narcissistic people. That's what they look for. They look for what your values are and they mold themselves around that. They see this is a person that absolutely can be molded. I just need to figure out where her weak spots are per se. Not that values are a weak spot, but he knows that those are very important, non-negotiable red lines for you. And if it's obvious that you dissolved a marriage because at least you know, those two values and more. So it'll be interesting to hear the other things that you, you know, talk about with him that I think that we'll be able to point and say, look, these were your values. And he exploited them in, in the years, the many years that you were married to him and started to erode the very person with these strong values. He started to erode that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, with the faith aspect, he, we, we were eventually part of a church. He was named an elder in that church. Then he became upset with some decisions that the church was making, decided we would no longer go to that church. So there's that isolation from that faith community that we had built. We didn't go to church. We didn't watch church. We didn't listen to church. Nothing. It was extinguished from your family. Absolutely. Absolutely. In any faith building or, or faith activities I would do when he was when he was away during the week because he travels for work. And then the family erosion, he was starting to chip away at that as well, just by planting these little seeds, ugly, ugly seeds about my kids. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm very thankful that my mother instincts stayed intact and there was absolutely no way I was going to let him come in between me and my kids. There are a number of you know, things looking back that I would have done differently with my kids, but I also know that in those moments where he was encouraging me to do or not do something with my kids, it was survival mode for me as well. Just weighing those options of should I, you know, I don't know how to say that, but yeah. So yesterday, when we were recording our episode one, we had touched on what were the red flags that you look the other way on? And would you be open to starting at the beginning of how y'all met? And you can point out the red flags along the way, or we can revisit those afterwards. It might be interesting to just point them out along the way. Mm -hmm. Sure, absolutely. And I know you know a lot of the story. So if I forget anything, feel free to <laughs> interrupt. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so the beginning. So I met number two, probably back in around 2008. I had been a stay-at-home mom at that point. And even prior to that was a teacher. But a stay-at-home mom 
for a number of years and began working on a very part-time basis for at the same place he was working. And we were in the same department. So because of the nature of our job and the department, we spend a lot of time together problem solving, planning, and problem solving, well, planning and problem solving just make my brain do the zingy thing. And (laughs) so that was really neat. And additionally, it was a Christian organization. Yes. Which is ringing your bell too. Totally ringing my bell. And another thing that really rang the bell was it was a service type industry. So we were serving others and then able to, after an event, we would, we would then sort of process the event and what can we tweak and troubleshoot and make improvements on. And so it was just really, really a lovely organization and opportunity uh, to serve. And that really spoke to my heart as well. So over the course of, you know, a few months working there, those things that I described as being initial attractors were just becoming more apparent. The faith, the family, definitely hard work was another thing that was attractive. He was a very hard worker, put in a lot of hours. Another thing that was attractive was this perfectionistic aspect to him that he, he wasn't satisfied with something just mediocre and he kept working at it in a healthy way. I believed he kept working at it until it was right. And that was very attractive. And another thing that was attractive that I had lacked maybe in my first marriage and definitely with my father and stepfather was this ability to do things, uh, to to fix a squeaky door, to even uh, something with a car, to um, hang a gutter, to paint a room, to all of the things that you would imagine a stereotypical man doing around the house or around a place, he could do. And if he couldn't do it, he would find a way whether that be through research or talking to other people. But I guess I could just say he wasn't lazy. And I found that to be very attractive. So at this point, my own marriage was dissolving. There were things that I needed that weren't being met. And number two's marriage was also dissolving according to what, you know, he was telling me at the time. So Fast forward to 2010, when my first marriage ended, then I quit that job and returned to teaching full-time. So because I quit that job, then the eventual number two and I didn't have much contact anymore. If, you know, maybe Merry Christmas or just occasional checking in. So in 2012... Yes, 2012, my mother, who also happened to work for the same organization, called and said, guess what? Number two left a note on my car and that I should call him. So I called him and he said that, unfortunately, he was getting a divorce and 
this could have been in 2011. I get my years mixed up, but getting a divorce and he asked about you. And I was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. And so I picked up the phone and called him at work and we talked for a bit. And that's kind of where things took off from there. So y'all had a first date. You remember that? Yeah. So one classic uh, red flag with narcissists is called future faking. Mm. And so in a nutshell, no, we did not have an official first date, although he had always promised one. He would throw out all kinds of ideas, all kinds of ideas, and we would plan them, coordinate our times, our schedules, and there was always an excuse as to why it couldn't happen. And he usually built those excuses around my values, which were faith, family, and hard work. So if he knew, if he said he had an event at work, which was often the case, and I had the event calendar, so I knew, then I didn't, I kind of brushed it off, you know, and made excuses for him. Or if the excuse was one of his kids was sick or just anything, any excuse he could come up with, they were all directly related to my values. So I was very willing to overlook it and just kind of let it go. And completely understanding. Completely understanding and supportive which he relished. And I knew he relished that because according to him, his first wife was not understanding. So I pridefully was understanding and probably went overboard in the understanding and supportive department, knowing that he had been so deprived of that in his first marriage. Generally, when people start a relationship, they go on dates. And so you say, oh, we did this and it was so magical. And I just knew he was the one, he was my soul, you know, whatever you hear. Right. And hearing you say you don't even have a first date that you can reference is very interesting. So what did the beginning of your relationship look like if y'all weren't dating each other or, you know, going places together and getting to know each other that way? I am assuming phone calls. Mm -hmm. We would talk on the phone uh, usually after my kids were put to bed and yeah, talking on the phone. And that's another way that the slow chipping away process Mm -hmm. begins is Mm -hmm. just the incessant talking and talking. It's like an indoctrination in this cult of two. It's where the brainwashing began. Mm -hmm. So lots of talking or the dates, quote unquote dates would be he might come over to my house and help fix a sprinkler head. Well, that was sexy to me because (laughs) here I have a man who can do things, you know, beat your chest and kill meat or kill whatever, (laughs) however that's make make a fire, whatever, (laughs) you know, and, and then we would order pizza and watch a movie. Mm -hmm. So that's what the, the, the dates quote unquote were. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a traditional courting. No, not at all. Not at all. And in fact, he balked in the face of tradition. One of my earliest memories is my, it was my birthday in it. We must have reconnected in 2011 because I think it was my birthday 
of 2012 that he called and I said, it's my, we talked for, I don't know, quite some time. And I said, it's my birthday. And he goes, I know. And I was like, oh, and I don't remember the rest of the conversation exactly, but it turned into very quickly. He was enraged and I know he hung up on me during that conversation. We eventually talked again. I'm sure I called him back multiple times, just dialed and dialed and dialed and dialed until he would pick up because my heart is racing. What have I done wrong? And it's just my birthday. And he just continued to say that birthdays meant nothing to him. All of this traditional mumbo jumbo can go out the window. Why do people, it's just a Hallmark holiday. Why do people have to celebrate that? And he had the same opinion about Valentine's Day. And what that taught me was Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was never acknowledged by him on Mother's Day because according to him, I'm not his mother. And he certainly wasn't going to, hindsight's 2020, he certainly wasn't going to honor me as a mother to my own children mm-hmm. because that was a very deep source of resentment for him was my relationship with my own children. And that was a place that he sought to destroy another, another way to isolate me. So that birthday phone call really taught me, well, that removed a little part of myself. You know, I think birthdays are important and they signify God's creation of us. And I think it's normal to want to celebrate that. Exactly. And And I feel celebrated. having, Having been friends with you for two decades now, you never miss my birthday. You never miss anybody's birthday. You, you know, we usually get together for lunch for our birthdays together, but I always get a birthday card from you. And it, it's not just love Lisa. It's a nice heartfelt message in it. And you always remember my anniversary with my husband. You are, you, that is another value for you, you know, acknowledging special, those special times for the special people in your life. And that's interesting that you say he was chipping that away and making you feel foolish for wanting to be acknowledged for your birthday when you do that for other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I did feel completely foolish and I just stayed up all night that night going around and around and around and convincing myself by the end of the night when I was finally able to fall asleep, I had convinced myself that he was right. And, oh, I just remembered something. Oh, in the conversation, he said, so I didn't tell you happy birthday soon enough. Should I have said it right when you answered the phone? Should, should I have called earlier in the day? So you tell me, Lisa, you tell me, when is it appropriate for me to call you? Do I call you at 1201? Do I call you at the exact time you were born? He just kept on berating, berating, berating in it until I just finally gave in and said, you're right. It's not important. So my expectations from that point on of any birthday or holiday were zero. Well, I still had them. Of course I still had them. He trained you from the start. Yes. Didn't he? Yes. So any little thing, any little thing that he would do for my birthday or Christmas would send me on a week long high or a couple of weeks high. 
Right. And if I were to say what he actually gave or did, I think the common public would scoff at that and say, mm-hmm. he gave you a sack of manure. <laughs> that is not a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, a gift is thoughtful and not necessarily expensive, but thoughtful and meaningful and maybe useful. Wanting to please you, wanting you to feel special. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And he knew that I have a thing about wrapped gifts versus a gift that's, you know, still in the HEB sack or whatever. Right. And I, that was a little passive aggressive move that he would make from time to time was it would not be wrapped or he wouldn't wait. He would buy it and then give it to me super early. So my birthday's in August. So he might give it to me, you know, July 4th. And it's like, well, thanks. But what about the day, you know, the day and, and then I would be in trouble for that too. Aren't you great? I aren't you grateful? I just saw this and thought of you and happy birthday. And then on the birthday, there's nothing because remember, I gave you that thing a month ago. So just, yeah, already conditioning Mm -hmm. to not express my wants and needs. I think that's a big takeaway is not expressing don't you dare number one, point out something that he did wrong, but also don't point out anything that he could do better simply because I wanted it to be different. And certainly don't point out where Lisa is hurt. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a huge wound Mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was completely primed for this relationship based on by this time, almost four decades of interaction with my birth family and my stepdad. And all of those almost 40 years of experiences really built blinders for me. And I was so desperate to have what I lacked that even to my own detriment, I ended up choosing in number two, the most, really the most dangerous person I could have ever chosen. So I want listeners to know wherever you are in this stage, whether you are decades married to an individual like number two or dating someone who might be like number two or anywhere in between to really do some work on yourself and find out, look at your past relationships And notice the patterns. Who are you choosing? Who are you attracted to? And is it healthy? Are those natural breakups? Because, you know, the one boy I dated in high school for quite a while, who was just lovely inside and out, I had to convince myself to like him because he wasn't neglectful. He was very attentive and very affectionate and very into me in a healthy way, but I was turned off by that. And that's not what I was used to. I was conditioned to be disregarded. I was conditioned to be, to feel alone and lonely. So with this lovely boy that I dated, we had a natural breakup because he ended up going into the military. I was still in high school. 
So that was a natural breakup. So I would encourage our listeners, whatever stage in a relationship you were in, really do the hard work of looking at your childhood, your parents, friendships, romantic relationships, and just notice the patterns and notice what makes you look the other way when you do notice red flags. That's very important. Yeah. It's so important to take stock of what our values are and, you know, you did that and you, you know, you have your faith, family, hard work values. And I think that's good. I don't, you know, I don't know if they were concrete in your mind at that point, or it was just check, checkbox kind of thing. I think when we do look to, you know, seek a, a friend or a, a partner, a mate, a spouse, it's really important that our, our values match up with theirs, but there also needs to be values looked at that are just as important, which are, am I treasured? Am I respected? Am I cherished? Because I do that for other people. And because of how we're hardwired from the get-go, a lot of times maybe you weren't treasured, cherished. And you, you tend to put those values that you, that you place on other people, you tend to put those aside for yourself because mm-hmm. you weren't possibly shown that. And I think as adults, we are able to learn about that and start applying it to our own lives and draw the red line there that I think it's important that birthdays are acknowledged in my relationships. And this guy just raged at me because I told him it was my birthday right there is here's your red flag. It's the only one you needed. And, and, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, you know, that's what this podcast is about is, is we can look at those things in the past that, you know, we chose to ignore because look at this guy, he can fix my sprinkler, you know, look at this guy. He's, he's an elder at a church he prays with us. He checks these other important boxes. So these other things, I mean, yeah, they're really important to me, but these are, these are big things that I have wanted my whole life. And we disregard the most important values, which is taking care of ourselves for our mental health. And we end up dissolving away into you know, poor mental health and depression, et cetera, all of the problems that people who are abused by narcissists end up having. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So do you want to go further into y'all were married for how long? We were married for almost seven years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to expand a little bit more, give some more instances I think I'd like to share two or a few things maybe that were red flags before we got married. And so forgive me, I don't have dates, but you know, this is sometime after he and his wife were going through a divorce and I was already divorced and we'd gone to dinner one time and we had a nice dinner. We got in the car and he said, I can't believe 
So the whole time, it's lovely. We are deep eye contact, deep conversation. Uh, He kind of reached across the table for my hand, real sweet, and was great. And the moment the car doors close and lock, he says, I can't believe you touched the waiter's arm. And I said, I didn't touch the waiter's arm. I have never touched a wait staff person in my life to this day. He said, you did. When he brought the wine over, you just, and he made the motion of almost like slowly caressing like the back of his arm above the elbow. I said, I did not do that. And he went on and on and on, much like the birthday conversation about how I did. And he saw it and he didn't appreciate it. And how could I come on to another man when we're out to dinner? And it was just the most absurd accusation I have ever heard in my life. And as we know, that's called gaslighting. Mm. And I, I, again, stayed up all night, racking my brain, thinking, did I do that? I actually started to doubt my own memory. And that was a huge event for us that he would, he would bring up a couple of times, even after, even after years later, he would bring up that incident. There's a common theme here of him, of us going to a nice restaurant and him fussing at me during the meal once the food was there and to the point where I would cry. And another time we went to, I don't know if I have told you about this one, but he, we went to a restaurant, very, very quaint and great atmosphere. We had a glass of wine and our, an appetizer. I remember that and our food came and he just leaned back in his chair, folded his arms across his chest. And he starts with, you know, when you, and I, can't remember what his complaint was, but he just berated me before we had even had one single bite of food, just started in on how I had done something in his eyes that was displeasing. And I started to cry and the waitress, you know, came to check on us and she asked, are you okay? And all I could do was just nod my head. You know, what, what am I going to do? And then he started fussing at me for making a scene. Oh, I don't know how much of my food I ate. He got mad at me for that too, about being wasteful. Although we took it to go, so it wasn't completely wasteful. And then the whole whole drive home was just silent. And I just cried. And that was before we were married. Mm. And he did this same thing again after we were married to a much greater extent. So that's another red flag. I mean, just the initial one, right? With touching the waiter's arm, that was a huge red flag. And I, again, convinced myself that maybe I had done it. I don't know, maybe, maybe I had, I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember my thinking, but I somehow talked myself into believing it was possible. And then crying during dinner and just not I think we talked about another similar incident the other day and, and your take on it was 
how could an empathetic person see someone they love in such distress and then just sit there? And he did. He just sat there and he seemed to relish it. It's a, it's a huge echo of what your dad did to you on that car drive and episode one that you talked about. Huge, huge. So even though it hurt, it didn't feel good. It was normal. It was normal. And another incident was uh, his birthday. I had pretty much begged him to allow me to take him to dinner for somewhere for his birthday. And he reluctantly agreed, which should have been a red flag (laughs) or it was right. And I ignored it. I picked this fantastic little restaurant that I just knew would be great food and great atmosphere. And so when he picked me up, it's, oh, and I had picked out the cutest dress. He made it clear from the beginning of our relationship that he really loved it when I wore dresses. And his birthday's in the summer. So I wore a summer little dress and it was so cute. And when he picked me up, I opened the car door, maybe he opened the car door for me and I got in and he took one look at me as we're driving on the highway to the restaurant. I can't believe you wore that. And I looked and I said, it's a dress. It's, it's like a sundress. You really love it when I wear dresses. He said, that is not a sundress. And Tony, if I showed it to you, I may still have it. But if I showed it to you, you would say that is totally a sundress. <laughs> I think women know what freaking sundresses look like. So he went on and on until we got to the restaurant until I was so sick to my stomach that I did order food. I probably picked. In fact, I know I did pick at it because he fussed at me for picking at my food rather than eating it. And then he during that dinner, he had the audacity to say, you never eat when we go out. And it's like, cause you freaking make me cry and sick all the time. That's why I don't eat when we go out, you know? So on the drive home, I said, when we get back to my house, let's go on the internet. I want you to show me what you imagine to be a sundress. Show, just show me. And I would have done, I would have worn it if it were, oh, I can't even imagine some horrible thing. I would have bought it because it would have made him happy. And I just really wanted to know what is the target? What's right? And I would have done it. Little Miss Compliant People Pleaser. So that's another example of a huge red flag. That Did again, y'all, did y'all go on the internet? and No, he refused. <laughs> he refused. Uh, many years later, when we were married, he complained about my hair and he said, you know, you have had the same hairstyle since I have known you. And I knew that wasn't true. He was gaslighting me. I knew that wasn't true because I can go back at my phone and look at all these. I've got short hair, long hair, darker hair, lighter hair, parted, not parted, you know, up, down, all these different things. So he tried to convince me to stop seeing my hairdresser, hairstylist person who I had seen, been seeing at that point for about 18 years. And so 
again, during that time, I said, show me a hairstyle that you like, that you, that you would want me to have. And again, he refused. So it's just, again, that power and control that they need. And by not showing me his idea of a sundress, by not showing me his idea of a hairstyle for me, kept me in that puppy dog mode of trying anything and everything to please him. A complete guessing game all the time. Complete guessing game. It's a freaking shell game with no ball under the shell. I mean, there's just no way to, to please them. And just when you think you have, he'll pull the rug out from under you. It's funny you say that about that hairdresser. Um, I remember a lot of a lot of our friends went to that same lady. Everybody really liked her a lot. Mm-hmm. She um, becomes a real good friend to mm-hmm. everybody, and mm-hmm. she's real sweet. And that just goes to show him isolating you from somebody that you were close to, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It wasn't about the hair at all. He wanted you to see somebody different. And didn't you? Didn't he have you go to somebody different, or was that one of your? one of his kids. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm confusing that with another. He tried to, he very story. much tried to. And I, in my gut, I couldn't name it like you just described, but in my, that is one issue I really dug my heels into. And as you know, as women, we're not going to go to any old gynecologist and we're not going to go to any old hairstylist. Exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I had formed a relationship with this, with this gal. And she is lovely and darling. And I go to someone new now, but only because she's closer to my house. Um, yes. Any way to, to isolate me further. And of course he wanted me to go to this gal he was going to, because I'm not going to typically women confide, right. A little bit in their hairdressers. It's sort of like therapy in a way. And although I wasn't sharing very many details with her. Of course, I wasn't sharing details with anyone about our relationship, but she knew about my kids and my kids went with me and sat on my lap while she cut my hair. That's how far back we went. And so of course he would want me to go to who he's seen, right? Because I for sure wouldn't say anything disparaging about him to her. And like you said, another way to manipulate and control you. Totally. Just one more way. Absolutely. And isolate. And isolate. Yeah. Absolutely. Isolate. And there was one other thing that I know I haven't told you because it's just really painful and embarrassing, but um, you're safe. It's just me and however many millions of yeah. podcasters <laughs> we'll have. <laughs> well, so during the time between his divorce, so his first wife moved out of their home. So between the time of that and the home selling, he was making some, some changes to that house. And he wanted to show me what he'd been doing because he'd been describing it to me on the phone, but he wanted to show me what he'd been doing. And I was excited because remember one of the attractive features of him was he can do work. He can make things and he was doing some woodwork type painting and very manly things. So we're headed over there and 
just before we get to the neighborhood, he says, you know, I don't want the neighbors to see you. So I'm going to stop right here on this side street and you're going to get out and you're just going to walk until I come back and get you. Wow. And I did it. I did it. And I remember I, that happened multiple times. And I remember on more than one occasion, I got a text from you <laughs> while I was walking. And I so badly wanted to tell you mm-hmm. what I was doing. And I even thought, oh, that person outside watering looks so nice. I'm just going to go say, can I please make a phone call? Can I? Can I just please stand in your garage and out of sight and try to get a ride? This is just not right. This is just not right. And it's embarrassing and foolish. And my purse was in his car. You know, I just, oh, just. Wow, Lisa. Just, you know, Mm. talk about devaluing a person yes so devalued and for no reason they were already in the process of a divorce and it had already maybe even been final at that point I must have been the summertime because I it was during the day and their divorce was I think final in April so yeah so there was no no reason to quote unquote hide me from anyone. Mm-hmm. That's that's big. Yeah. And if it was summer, it was hot. Yep. So that's cruelty on t- on top of cruelty. But you know, he was testing, right? Pushing pushing those boundaries. How how much can she take? How much is she willing to do? That is would be completely absurd and out of the question for any other human being except for one that had drank the Kool-Aid of this cult for two. And at this point, I was already in love, already totally idealized him, totally had him on a pedestal. So it was just an an complete out-of-body experience of Yes, I'm going through the motions of this while simultaneously knowing this is not right. This is not right. A loving man, a a man who cherished a woman does not do this. I knew it. Mm -hmm. I knew it. Well, do you have on your list the garlic bread story? Yeah. Like that. Stand, that's one of the biggies that stands out in my mind that you have to share. Okay. If you don't mind. Absolutely. So a little backstory, just a, a smidge to the garlic bread story is the garlic bread occurred probably what in 2019? Yeah. Yep. One, one of the, one of the final straws. Mm-hmm. One of the final straws, 2019. Spoiler alert. I filed for divorce in 2020. 
the best year of my life. I know it was hard for so many with COVID, but 2020 is just a huge metaphor for, for my life. And hindsight is 2020. And oh boy, in 2020, did those scales fall off my eyes. And so wow. I'm forever thankful for that year. But so prior to the garlic bread, he had been constantly critical. It's one of his badges of honor is his ability to criticize the smallest of things so that I was constantly walking on eggshells, second guessing myself, over-processing everything. He travels for work. So he would be gone late Sunday afternoon to Friday evening. I would spend those five days replaying the previous two days with him and planning how I would make the house perfect, how I would have all the products in the refrigerator fronted so that it looked like a store display, how I would not have anything in the washer because he would need to use the washer as soon as he got home, how the dishwasher would be emptied, you name it. I was running around like a crazy person, making everything perfect. So we had been having some really hard conversations up until the garlic bread episode. I, I know I, I had already come out to Tony about what was happening in our relationship. And I had already seen a counselor a time, I think, a time or two prior to this. So a lot had gone on is kind of my point. So we had made dinner. Uh, one night. And at this point, my two children were living at home and his oldest child was living with us, but they were all gone. That evening we had made dinner and I said, you know, I, I think I will have some garlic bread with this. Would you like some? And he turned to me and he said, would you mind repeating that question without using I, me, or my, and then proceeded to lecture me about how people, how, I don't remember how he worded it, about, it was very poor grammar and very selfish when people repeat the pronouns I, me, or my. So would I mind asking him again? And I did. I tried to rephrase that because I said, would you like some garlic bread? And he said, you used you. <laughs> and so, I mean, listeners, you try to do that, you know, <laughs> and he wanted me to go back, not just with the question, but with my preface to the question, which was, I would like some garlic bread with my dinner. Would you like some? Like he wanted me to take out the I and the my. So ridiculous, but I did it. I did it. I made that darn garlic bread and we ate dinner. And while we're eating dinner, I'll just never forget this image. We had two couches at the time. He sat on one. We usually always sat on one together, like, like hip to hip, right next to each other. This particular evening, he'd been sleeping a lot in the living room and on the floor and things like that. Leading up to this, he was sitting on the opposite couch from me 
all stretched out like a king on his throne with this smirk on his face. And he started off with, remember earlier today, you were telling me about blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember what the blah, blah, blah was, but it was a very, I really opened up to him about something kind of personal. I don't even really, really remember if it was about work or what, but I really was vulnerable with him about something for quite a while that day. And he said, I want you to retell that story without using I, me or my, and I just looked at him and I just kind of did a half laugh and I turned to the kitchen and I rinsed my plate and he said, aren't you going to do it? And I remember sitting how stupidly sitting at his feet while he sat on his throne and I tried to do it and it sounded so ridiculous and I didn't even get a fourth of the way through the retelling of my story before I realized, Lisa, you are being ridiculous. And by the way, you are a freaking English teacher exactly. and it doesn't work this way, you know? And so, yeah, that's the garlic bread story. That's also around the time, you know, I started to, to wisen up. And I think I know he, he recognized this. He even told me numerous times around the garlic bread incident, you know, I don't like you anymore. You think you're so smart getting your doctorate degree. And he knew, he knew that a change was happening in me and that I was seeing him for who he really was. That made him vulnerable. That weakened him. My, my knowledge, my power was weakening him and he could see that. And that's when the name calling and physical aggression really picked up as well toward the end. Just one more thing about the garlic bread story. As you mentioned, you are a, an English teacher. Mm -hmm. You're also, I don't know if we want to put this in there or not, head of your English department mm -hmm. because you're so capable with the English language yes, <laughs> <laughs> teaching for, I don't know how many years, 17, 18 years, 18 years. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think Lisa knows a little bit about pronouns and the proper usage a little bit. Yeah. And the, one of the things that narcissists do to a fault is find areas that you're proud of areas that you're strong in, like I'm a good cook or, you know, that you pride yourself on that, or I like to sew or whatever, and they will use that and, and find fault in those areas for him to sit there when you're, first of all, the whole elephant in the room is you're making some, you're doing a nice <laughs> gesture, making him some food to go with dinner. Yes. <laughs> That's all missed. Yes. You know, the whole, it's just mind boggling to me. But then to take an area that you are literally an expert in, and he is literally not as yes. evidenced by the many things that he has written. And I have personally <laughs> witnessed right. and then bored myself into reading. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah, girl. I just my, have, my I, red pen is just flaming over all of his. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's just, it is just one. It is the, a pinnacle story. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you're right. And it did, I know we did kind of jump way ahead. And um, I, I can only imagine the countless 
stories because it's, you know, it was seven years with this person, but getting, getting to that point, as you said, the scales falling off your eyes, he did feel it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure very strongly and was pulling out all the big guns Mm -hmm. to, to just try to see what could affect you. Mm -hmm. And, and it did affect you, but by this time you had already talked to me and and you had some wind in your sails with that and you had your therapist and you you could finally see him mm-hmm. and while leaving him was a big next step and and took a lot mentally especially you you finally like i said had wind in your sails to to start that voyage that new voyage absolutely absolutely so this is going to be the conclusion of episode two, and we will continue with Lisa's story next week with episode three. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing this tragic yet informative yet informational story with us. You're so welcome. And I appreciate the opportunity to share my story and I look forward to sharing a little bit more next week. Thank you so much. And we appreciate you joining us for episode two of Here's Here's Your Red Red Flag. Flag. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Here's Your Red Flag was written, directed, and recorded by Tony and Lisa and edited by Tony. Our theme song is Butterfly Woke by Jairus. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks, y'all. Bye.